0: Good morning. All right. Thank you, James. And what's uh, going on? And we're uh, we're excited for all the ward is doing. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Rick. If we haven't had the chance to meet, those of you that are here in person, or if you're online, I'm one of the pastors at Mount Hope. Privileged this morning to be able to uh, open up God's Word for us today. Uh, Just before we get into that, let me just, I just want to share something, if it's okay. I guess you don't have much choice, so I'm just asking, but it's okay, I guess. Um, Let me just take a minute. Just something I felt like God was speaking to me during the worship time and maybe working in my heart, and I think it may be for someone else, too. We sang that first song, and we said, I will sing through the night. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you're walking through a night or walking through a winter like, we're just coming through winter. Anybody grateful for the warm weather? Are you grateful that, that we actually have a spring this year? I mean, it's, sometimes it's winter to summer, and there's like spring falls on a Tuesday, and that's it. But it feels like we actually have spring this year, like it's warm. And, but you got to get through the winter, right? And, and, I, and I've been thinking about that a little bit lately, that sometimes spiritually, you might feel like you're walking through winter. And I think sometimes spiritually, God will have you walk through winter. Believe it or not, I, I think he will intentionally put you in a place of winter that you have to walk through for different reasons and for his reasons, and he'll have you do that. And, and here's the thing about winter, here's the thing about night that, that's been kind of becoming more real and just that I've been realizing, well, you may be in winter, but you cannot make winter end. You, you cannot make, like, you, you I want it to end, I want it to be over. Like, I want spring to come. I want the flowers to go, but I can't make it. And I need God to make winter end. I need God to make the night end. There's a passage of scripture in Habakkuk that speaks to this. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Like, it's winter. It's night. There's not much there. There's not much life. There's not much going on. And then he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And I, I don't know who that word is for this morning. Maybe it's just for me, but I thought I, thought I would just say it because it's a year, like I watched last year, I was looking back, Wendy last night pulled up, remember this, and it was last year's Easter sermon that, that I recorded in my office because I was, uh, you know, wasn't sure if I was around someone who was positive. And I, and I was like, oh, that feels so long ago. And we're still here in so many ways. Like we're still walking through winter. And I don't know when it's going to completely end, but I know God is with us, and I know God is guiding us, and I know God is going to lead us through. So if you feel like it's still winter, if you feel like it's night, just know that there are times where God will place you there for his purposes, that God will put you in that spot, and he's at work. And he often withdraws himself strategically so that you will depend on him and know how to walk and and find new things about him that you wouldn't have found otherwise. So, all right, that's my parentheses. um, If that's all you get out of today, maybe that's all you need. But uh, let's go into the message for this morning. We're going to be in Luke uh, 19. We'll start in there. So if you want to turn there, you can turn there, Luke chapter 19. Uh, Pastor Marvin just read about the triumphal entry from Matthew. We're going to be in there in Luke. If you have your chair rack Bible there, it's about page 879. And uh, we don't have Bibles in your chair racks at home. So hopefully you get your own Bible there. My daughter, Bella, says that I have a face. Right? I didn't know what she meant either. But she says I have a face. And I said, well, what do you mean I have a face? She's very attentive and attuned to these things. And, And here's what she means. Sometimes she'll come downstairs or into the room, and I'm watching Netflix or I'm watching a movie let see you guys over here. I'm watching Netflix or I'm watching a movie, and apparently if she comes in and I'm watching something and she interrupts me, apparently I have a face <laughs> <clears throat> that she sees that she may not have known when I was doing it on my computer, but she knows instantly that I was watching something and she interrupted me. And I, and I asked her if I could you know, just share this this morning as I start, and she said, well, are you going to do the face? <laughs> I said, I don't even know the face. If I could, and then she's like, well, try and do it. And I'm like, is it this? And she's like, yeah, that's the face. <laughs> and she's like, don't do that. So I'm trying not to do that when she walks. So now when I see her coming, I just like, right. you know, I just like put this smile on because I'm trying to be, I'm like, is that better? I'm trying to get better. But we all have reactions at times when people interrupt us, Right. I mean, someone comes along and you're doing something and someone interrupts you and you have a response and you have a reaction. You may not know you have a reaction, but you probably do. They know you do, right? Just ask your kids if you're a parent, what's my reaction when you interrupt me? And I bet they know, they probably know your face. There's lots of times we have interruptions in our lives, but then there are times when we have disruptions in our lives. And an interruption is different than a disruption. When you have an interruption, you're paused, right? And You go back afterwards to what you were doing before. It's a break in the action. It's, you know, but you go back to your previously scheduled program. That's different than a disruption, right? An interruption is I'm driving someplace and the train goes across the street, you know, and I got to stop and wait. That's an interruption. After the train, I proceed on my journey. A disruption is I'm on the train and it derails. Like that's different. That's a disruption, An interruption is I've had a cold, so I'm going to stay in for the day. A disruption is we are going to go to online services for months because there's a global pandemic and and we're still, you know, sitting in masks and people, that's a disruption. An interruption is I forgot something at the store and I'm in the middle of a recipe, so I got to run out and get it and interrupt what I'm doing. A disruption is a a golden gold level uh, tanker is sideways in the Suez Canal and interrupting commerce at the, co- at the count of 10 billion dollars a day because no one can get through like that's a disruption so we got the difference right interruption disruption here's my question for you this morning is Jesus an interruption in your life or is he a disruption in your life And you say, well, pastor, those both sound like negative words. And I hear that and I understand that. But I really believe that Jesus came not to be an interruption, but he came to be a disruption. And he came not just to interrupt your life and my life or just interrupt this world. And then it goes back to the way it was. Jesus came to disrupt. He came to disrupt this world. He came to disrupt the way things were at. And he came to disrupt your life and my life. So is Jesus an interrupter or a disruptor in your life today? That's the question I want us to consider. And we're going to look at this this morning by looking at two different crowds Uh, around this part of what we call Holy Week. If you're new to to church or Christianity, you may think, well, Easter is what it's all about, Resurrection Sunday, and you'd be right. Resurrection Sunday, that's it. Like, that's what it culminates in. That's what it's all about. That's our big day, right? We celebrate it every Sunday. We celebrate it every day. But Resurrection Sunday, we remember particularly the events of that day. But it's really a week that, that we talk about the events leading up to it. It starts with what we remember today as Palm Sunday, That's the beginning of the week. Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem where eventually he would be crucified at the beginning of the week. And then throughout that week, we've got some events we remember. Thursday night, there's what we call the last supper with his disciples. He has that Passover meal where where you remember that. He washes their feet and, and, and then he shares with them what we remember as communion. That happens on Thursday night. Thursday night, he's betrayed by one of his disciples uh, Judas betrays him on that night, and he's betrayed into the hands of authorities that wanted to kill him. Friday is the mock trial, and that he experiences uh, that he's he's brought up on these false charges, and you have this mock trial that happens, and he is eventually um, given over to be crucified on Friday. Saturday, uh, we call it a lot of people call it Silent Saturday. There's there's no events. There's nothing we really have. It's Sabbath. It's quiet. There's nothing going on necessarily that we see on Saturday. And then, of course, Sunday, all heaven breaks loose. And we have resurrection Sunday. And Jesus rises out of the tomb and the world and our lives are disrupted forever. But it all starts with this event on palm sunday and in the course of this there's two crowds that i want us to look at this morning one is the one that's on palm sunday and we're going to read about that and the other is the one that's there on good friday and i think both of these crowds see jesus as a disruption they rightly both see it as a see him as a disruption but they handle that disruption and they respond to that disruption very differently. When you see Jesus clearly, you understand he's a disruptor. You understand he's a disruptor. We've been talking about this, this series of messages, when you see it. If you don't see Jesus as a disruptor, if you don't see Jesus as a disruption to your life and to this world, I would say you're probably not seeing Jesus clearly. You probably don't clearly see who Jesus is. You may be attending this church, you may come to this church week after week, and but if you don't see Jesus as a disruptor, I would say you're not seeing who Jesus really is. You're not seeing what you're not hearing what Jesus is really saying. Because when you hear what Jesus is really saying and you see who Jesus is, you understand that he is a disruptor. He's a disruption, not simply an interruption, but a disruption to the world, and to life. And so there's two crowds. The first one, Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40. This is that crowd at the beginning of the week. This is the Palm Sunday crowd. This is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he does, Luke chapter 19, verse 37, here's what it says. As he was drawing near, that's to the city of Jerusalem, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So look at what this crowd is doing. Rejoicing, praising God, loud voices, all the mighty works they had seen. And they're saying, blessed is the king. The king, they want to crown him. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, these religious leaders, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the first crowd. This first crowd, they understand Jesus has disrupted things, but they see this as the disruption that they've been waiting for. They come out. Jesus is coming down on the donkey into the city. And like Pastor Marvin just said a minute ago, it's unusual. This isn't how a king enters the city. He's on a donkey, this is humble, and yet this crowd comes out and they have these palm branches that they're putting down before the donkey and they put their own clothes down so that the donkey can walk on the clothes, so that, and, and they recognize that this is the one who's done the miracles, this is the one who's done the healings, this is the one who's done all these amazing things, and so they come out praising him, they come out worshiping, he's disrupted their lives, he's disrupted their world, but they see it as a good disruption. They see it as God cares about us. God is doing something. God is saying something. God has broken into our world and is changing everything. And they want to crown him. They say, here comes the king. They want to crown him. He's changed everything in their world and their lives. And this is the one they've been waiting for. And so they sing praises to him. But then there's a different crowd that happens at the end of the week. Flip over to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we're gonna pick it up in verse 13. This is a different crowd. Um, It's not the same crowd of people who changed their mind and are now acting differently. This is a different crowd of people. They see the same disruption. They see the same miracles. They see the same things that this Jesus has done but they have a very different response to him. Luke chapter 23, verse 13. Crowd of people in Jerusalem, just like there was a crowd of people in the beginning of the week. Different crowd. Here's what it says. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. Here's the crowd. And said to them, it's Pilate, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. Talking about Jesus. Jesus. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I'll therefore punish him and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder. They're saying, give us a murderer. Give us a murderer instead of Jesus. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Here's a second crowd. The second crowd sees the same evidence, sees the same Jesus, sees the same, sees the same miracles, sees the same things that he had done, and their response is very different. Their response, they see him and they say this is going to change everything but not in a good way. He's just, Jesus has come on the scene. He's taking away our power. He's taking away the things, the way that we thought things should go, the way that we thought things should be, the authority that we taught. He is changing that. He's taking that away from us. He's messing things up. So they don't want to crown him. This crowd wants to crucify him. They see the same evidence. They see the same disruption. But they look at it as them losing control. And this crowd doesn't want to crown him. This crowd Wants to crucify him. It's a disruption. They both see him as a disruption, but they both respond in very different ways. This happens sometimes. Something comes on the scene and disrupts things, but there's different responses. A few summers back, um, our family was in Washington, D.C., and we were going down the, the National Mall, and it was August. You ever, been to, you ever been to Washington, D.C. in August? Washington, D.C. in August is hot and sticky. And it was built on a swamp, and so it's humid and muggy. But we're there, and we're there to walk, and we're going to do, you know, walking to do these museums on the mall, and we're going from museum to museum. And basically just we don't care what museum's next, just as it air-conditioned, and we will go and... Go and see. We'll, we'll look at whatever you want us to look at as long as it's air conditioned because it's so hot out there. And, we, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're near 30,000 steps and we have to get back to our hotel and near DuPont Circle and we could walk it. But it's, did I mention it's August in Washington, D.C. We don't want to walk it. So we could get a cab. Right? That's what you do before. Years ago, you get a cab and you say, let's try and get a cab. We'll find where do we stand, where do we wait, where do we? how much is it going to cost? I don't know. Is it cash? Is it card? You know, what is it going to be? What's the car going to be like? We don't know, right? But that's what you do. That's what you used to do. That's not what we did. You know what we did. We took out our phone. We opened up the Uber app. And we said, you know, here's where we want to go. Here's how many people we are. They said, all right, here's how much it's going to cost. Here's where we are. They said, we'll pick you up right there. Here's your driver, your car. Here's his name. Here's his license plate number. Here's exi- you can pay for it right now. You don't ever have to have a transaction in the car. You go and they pick you. It's like magic. It's like I just summon a car to me. And it takes me where I want to go. And I don't even know. Like it's, it's incredible. But Uber was an incredible disruption to the market because it's great for me when I'm in D.C. in August and it's hot and I want to get, I mean, I loved it. We just Ubered, it. like I did not want to walk anywhere anymore. But if you're a cabbie in Cambridge, that paid and waited and saved and got your coins together and maybe mortgaged your house to buy a $250,000 medallion to put on your car to give you permission to drive around and earn money from, from taking people around the city, it is a different kind of disruption to your world. It's a different kind of disruption. And that's the way disruptions are. They come on the scene, and for some people, they look at them, and they say, this is what we've been waiting for. I love it. And that first crowd, that's that crowd. This is what we've been waiting for. God, we need God to break in. Our world's a mess. And we need God to break in and do so. And Jesus is this Messiah we've been waiting for. But the second crowd is saying, no, 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 no. We've got an investment. You're changing everything. And they see it very differently. One crowd saw Jesus and was filled with faith. Another crowd saw him and was filled with fear. But they both saw him as a disruption. But here's the thing, if Jesus is not disrupting your life, then you are not seeing him clearly. Clearly. See, it's got to be one reaction or the other when it comes to Jesus. And too many of us, I think, try to foul this in-between reaction where Jesus is simply an interruption, but he's not simply an interruption. He's a disruption. And he's going to cause a passionate reaction one way or the other for him. And if he's not in your life, then I would say you're probably not seeing him clearly. Because if you don't see Uber as a disruption, you don't understand Uber. If you just say, oh, isn't it just a car picking you up and another car picking you up? I mean, what's the difference? Then why are there court cases brought against him? Then why are there cities saying, you know, we're going to regulate you or kick you out? Then why are there lawsuits? That... It's a disruption. But when you, you have to understand it clearly to see that. And if you don't see Jesus as a disruption, then you probably don't see Jesus clearly. Why is it that in our world, there are topics that you can bring up and you're fine with it and there are others that you can bring up and you know that when you bring up that topic, that it changes the atmosphere of the conversation, right? And so how how often when you have an acquaintance or someone you're just starting a relationship with and you might ask them, hey, do you have any, uh, you have a few minutes? And they say, yeah. And you say, great. I want to talk to you about Jesus. Maybe you've done that, maybe you don't. Whether you do that or not, you know that there's a reaction after you say those words. Why is it that a rabbi who spent three years teaching, healing, and showing compassion to the outcasts of society, a man who was executed over 2,000 years ago, is a topic that's socially unacceptable to bring up? How is it that such a man remains a topic that if you post about him on social media, it could result in people unfollowing you or arguing with you in the comments? Why doesn't that happen if you quote Socrates or Aristotle or Plato? Because Jesus is a disruptor. He disrupted this world. We count down to his birth. We count away from his death. You know, he disrupted things. You and I don't understand that, we probably don't see Jesus clearly. If Jesus fits into your life the way a new gym membership would, you probably don't see him clearly. You know, you go now, well, I really got to get in shape. I got to do some things better. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going out of Lifetime Fitness and I'm just going to plunk down the money and I'm going to get my membership and I'm going to go there and I'm going to work out. And, and it's going to interrupt my life a little bit because my schedule's going to be different and I'm going to spend some time and some money there. And if Jesus fits into your life like a gym membership, like it's going to make me a little bit, I'll spend a little time, I'll spend a little money, I'll be a better person, then you're probably not seeing Jesus clearly because that's an interruption, not a disruption. If Jesus fits into your life like a new class, and I'll show up to church, and hopefully, you know, it's going to make me a little better person, and maybe I won't be as angry, and maybe I'll be a little kinder, maybe I'll be a little more patient, and that's what I want to get out of. If Jesus fits into your life like a new class or a self-help book, you're probably not seeing Jesus clearly, because that's an interruption, not a disruption. If Jesus fits into your life, like just some kind of New Year's resolution, like I really want to be a better person, and I think, you know, church might help me to do that, so I'm going to show up and be around it, then you're, that's an interruption, not a disruption. Jesus came onto the scene, and it changes not only this world, but it changes our life. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, most famously probably put it best. Uh, I can't put it any better than Lewis when he said this in Mere Christianity. He said, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That's Jesus. Which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, Lewis says. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of someone who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit him at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And if I could say that in the words we're using this morning, I think Lewis is saying, let us not. Let's put away this foolish idea that Jesus can just interrupt your life and you can go on with your life the way that you thought. That's not an option with Jesus Jesus disrupts this world and he demands a decision. Either he's Lord and God, in Lewis's words, a madman or a demon, but you can't just say, oh, he's just a nice teacher. He's just a nice, he's just a nice man who just kind of lived a while ago and we can learn some things from. He didn't leave that option open to us. And so I come back to the question I started with, is Jesus an interruption to your life or a disruption to your life. The kind of things that Jesus said does not allow him just to be an interruption. He came with a says he came with a sword, not just simply to bring peace. He's calling you to full allegiance. Jesus said things like, "Take up your cross." A tool of execution and death. "Take up your cross." If you're going to be my follower, you got to take up your cross and follow me. And what's he saying? He said, you have to die to yourself and live for and to me. If it's your life and Jesus is tacked on, then Jesus is an interruption. If you understand that when I follow and come to Christ, that now it's Christ's life. And I live for him because he's purchased me with his blood. And because he has has given his life for me. And it's his life and I live for him. Now you're starting to understand. Now you're starting to understand the life that Jesus calls us to. I think too many of us as Christians live as if Jesus is just tacked on to the life that we want to live. Those crowds understood, no, it's got to be one or the other. Either we're going to crown him as king or we're going to crucify him. But the things Jesus said, he said he's the son of God. He said he's the savior. He says, no one comes to God except through me. There's no, there's no wiggle room there. There's no gray area there. There's no, that's no one comes to God except through him. So Jesus is a disruptor. But here's the thing. He's a beautiful disruptor. He's a beautiful, when you come to follow Jesus, you understand he is a beautiful disruption. I remember the day that Isaac was born, our oldest. And I remember sitting in the delivery room with him, holding him in my arms, and I had a few minutes to do that. They were taking care of Wendy in another room, and so I had a few minutes with just my son and me in that delivery room in that moment, and I remember in that moment feeling that my priorities, my perspective, and my plans had just changed in an instant, for nine months, I knew this day was coming. For years, we had been hoping and praying for this day. But I wasn't prepared for that moment. I still, I think, in my mind, thought it was going to be an interruption. That somehow children, you know, I got to be, it's just my wife, and we'll have kids with it. That's all. Just an interruption. But in that moment, holding a baby who could do nothing who couldn't feed himself, who couldn't walk, who could do nothing. In that moment, I realized, oh, this is a disruption, not an interruption. But I didn't care because it was a beautiful disruption. And so my priorities of what I thought was important, suddenly what I thought was important wasn't that important anymore because of this baby that I was holding. Suddenly, what I thought was so, you know, my perspective on the world and everything changed. Suddenly, my plans where I thought I was gonna, like, it all started to change in that moment because it was a beautiful disruption. And that's the way it is with Jesus. You guys can come up, team. We're about to close. It's a beautiful, Jesus is a disruption to your life, but when you come to follow him, when you come to understand who he is, when you come to understand him clearly, you understand that it is the most beautiful interruption that this world has ever experienced and that your life could ever experience. Because he offers you what no one else can offer to you. You look around and you say, this world is messed up, that we need, we need something to change it, and Jesus has come into this world as Messiah. Messiah. Jesus has come, we look at our wives and we say, I carry around this guilt and this shame and this burden and Jesus has come into this world to offer you forgiveness, to offer you life after this life, to offer you abundant life, to offer you release from shame and guilt and sin and the penalty of sin and a reconciliation of a relationship with a holy God. He's a disruption, but he's a beautiful disruption. So this morning, as we come to a close, I ask you, if you're a Christian and you're in here and you call yourself a Christian and, and you call yourself a follower of Christ, then I just... I think you need to, we need to consider this point, those of us that call ourselves Christian, am I treating Jesus as an interruption in my life or do I understand that he's a complete disruptor, that, that he changes everything in my life and that my life is his and not mine, that it's not my life and I tack him onto it, it's his life and I follow him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. How are you living? Are you living just as Jesus is tacked on to what you're doing? Do you understand that because of what he did, that your life is now to be lived in response to that love? That my work, that my relationships, all of it's guided by him. All of it's for him. All of it's about him. And if you're here this morning or you're online and you're going, well, I haven't haven't taken that step. I would just ask you to consider why. Is it because of like that second crowd, you've got your control and you know that if you give your life over to Jesus, it's going to change everything. I would say to you, it is going to change everything because it's a disruption, but it is a beautiful disruption because when you let go of your life and give it over to him and trust it to his care, he offers you in exchange. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you peace that passes understanding. He offers you reconciliation in relationship with God. Yep, it's not an easy thing Christ is calling you to. Shouldn't enter Holy Week and pretend that it was something that was not ugly, hard, difficult for our Lord. But we also remember what came about at the end of it life through death, forgiveness, and a new way of relating to God. Let's pray. Lord, God, we as, I just, I just feel like, Lord, for us as Christians, Lord, those that call ourselves Christians, we wear that name of Christ, Lord, we, we, we endeavor to follow you, we want to follow you, and, and yet, Lord, we don't understand the impact of what you've done, we, we often don't Understand how much it changes and ought to change everything about the way we live, we talk, think that all is about you, Lord. And not because you're some tyrant that demands us, but because you have done and you are this beautiful God who loves us, saves us, who does not leave us caught in our sin and has showed us the way to live the way to true life in you so lord teach us to trust you and to know you god if we're not seeing you clearly help us to see you clearly today lead us even as we sing this song of worship to understand who jesus is and what that means to us as your followers god Lord, show us any place in our lives where we are living simply for us as like you're an interruption. Lord, we want to get back to our way of life, get to our, back to our way, what we want to do. And Lord, teach us how to live, to take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow you in whatever part of our lives that we need to do that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lead us in Jesus' name.